This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Toronto Blue Jays, unfortunately getting swept three games to none. This is our seventh straight series loss dating back to the June 24th, June 26th series in Cleveland. That's right. It's been a month since we had a series win and the Guardians uh, were our last victim. We are still in fourth place in the American League East, but we did lose an additional game falling back to a very sad 17 and a half games back. And we are currently three games back of the third wild card spot in the American League. And over our last 20 games since July 1st, the Boston Red Sox are 5-15. and 15. Just not pretty. Just a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners. This is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they're getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt uh, foreshadowing here. It's going to happen quite a bit after the last series. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. My name is Charlie Smith coming to you from Providence, Rhode Island. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our podcast, The Bastards of Boston Baseball, can be found at Bastards underscore Boston. It has been a very, very uh, eventful last three games with some history being made for all the wrong reasons. But uh, before we get into that, I'm going to introduce tonight's guests. We have Jason Kelly joining me from Canton, Massachusetts, by way of Westwood, Massachusetts. Jason, how are you, sir? Just peachy. Just peachy. What a fun weekend. Did everyone have fun this weekend? Because I had a lot of fun. You know, I, I think at this point, when it comes to the Red Sox 2022 season, I'm like the guy in the meme who's, you know, in the mirror, like putting on clown makeup and he's like crying and kind of laughing at the same time. He's just having a breakdown, but he keeps putting the clown makeup on. That's what I feel like every time I tune into Nesson to watch a Red Sox game these days. Because I tune in, I go, okay, maybe tonight, maybe maybe they'll show me something different. Maybe this turnaround begins tonight. And then they give up 28 runs, and they get their brains beat in, and they just look like a disorganized mess. They look like a team that has never played baseball before. So um, it, it's just, at this point, you just can't help but you can't help but just laugh at them. It, it's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, watching history get made, not for you but against you isn't fun and then the constant reminders of how many runs we've allowed at Fenway the most times or the most runs it's happened it's been almost 100 years since we've done that and we broke that and then the most runs allowed against the team facing the Red Sox we broke that too on the same night coincidentally just uh fantastic um also joining us tonight coming off the bench for the first time making his first appearance we have Nick Face joining us from Reading, Massachusetts. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, first and foremost, where can the fans find you on Twitter? And why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so beware of my Twitter. Um, it's uh, facethefacts15. You can find me there. Um, just a little bit about me. Um, I When I went to high school, I played football, baseball, and all that, but I really wanted to get into broadcasting. So I actually created my own talk show my junior year in high school. It's called Face the Facts, which we still do to this day um, in Reading, North Reading, and some of our communities um, down here in the North Shore. We talk about sports. We have great guests come on that are either friends or athletes, coaches, all that. And we just 
you know, sometimes rant, sometimes rave, and have as much fun as we can uh, doing that show. Um, and the other cool thing um, about my whole broadcasting end, um, I actually went to school, you know, to be a broadcast journalism major, but uh, lo and behold, I ended up uh, starting my own sports company. I work with uh, kids all around the area. We do summer programs, birthday parties, all kinds of stuff like traveling road show. And uh, now over about 30 communities. And that uh, organization is called Sports Zone 101. So uh, it's an honor to be here, guys. And I've been a fan uh, for life of this. So this is great to be here. Thank you so much, Nick. That's awesome to hear. And uh, awesome to hear that you're you're kind of spreading the, the good word for for kids and, and multiple communities to Definitely. do it for one or two. That's awesome. To do it for 10, that's incredible. 20, 30, that's outstanding. So yes, that's I'm, I'm amazing. I wake up and I say I'm out of my freaking mind, but you know what? It's a blessing, you know? So yeah. I, I enjoy it a lot. You know, it allows me to, you know, stay in the game, playing sports and everything. And uh, just from all these things kids have had to go through, you know, from these past two years from hell, basically, it's great to get them engaged and playing together and being good teammates and stuff. Absolutely. So, something Absolutely. we hope the Red Sox will turn their season around with. So. <laughs> I think that's something we can all agree with and be aligned on. Uh, so naturally, as the Red Sox were unable to win this series, we do have the weekend shit list. A little bit of history being made uh, during this series. The Red Sox were swept, were outscored 28-5. to It sounds like a football score. In the first game, losing 4-1 to in the second, and then 8-4 to in the third. We just... Couldn't seem to get it from start to finish. It was incredibly brutal. So starting off our weekend shit list, Franchi Cordero. Franchi Cordero just once again cannot seem to get out of his own way. Struck out a couple of times in the second game. Uh, 0 for 1 in the first one. Today, 1 for 3. Unfortunately, had another error. Did get a single, so that's great. But... This is somebody who at least isn't striking out every single at-bat, which Jason and I were sharing and talking about in the last episode that we did together. 0 for 15 with 14 strikeouts or 0 for 16 with 15 strikeouts. I don't remember, but either way, it was an automatic strikeout. You literally could put any other batter up there, and they couldn't possibly be that bad. You could stick someone who's 5-1, in there, and they're at least going to draw a walk. Because Franchi Cordero's last drawn walk was July 10th. He's drawn three in 53 at-bats. 56 if you count the walks. That's not good enough. That's not going to cut it. His batting average now, before today's game, was 132 with one home run and four RBIs. That's inexcusable. Three runs going into today. Three runs scored. Four knocked in. One was yourself because you had a home run. You're not doing your job. You're you you made a a blunder of a play in game three where you overran the ball. Kevin Biggio lined one into left. I thought, okay, maybe Bayo's gonna get out of this inning unscathed. It was ugly, but maybe he can do it. Went past uh I think it was uh was it Yolmer who was playing in? I think he was playing a little or Jeter Downs was playing in. At third, ball skated by him, and then you see Franchi Cordero didn't pull the glove all the way down on the ground. Ball went right under. So to me, it's just a – there's too many brain fog moments for Franchi Cordero, and it's becoming too too often for me. Before today's game where he actually had a hit, his last hit, July 10th, that's just not going to cut it. 0 for 19 skid, 1 for his last 23. This is the same garbage that we were dealing with last year. I'm really sick and tired of making excuses for this guy. So they're going to have to shake things up. It's not just Franchi Cordero. His whole team is missing. Um, we're, we're not hitting. We're leaving men on base. Our pitching is struggling. It's It's been brutal. Um, but but that's it. It's, it's two weeks in a row of the Franchi show just getting rocked. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've beat... Franchi Cordero up all season, um, and, and rightfully so. This guy's not a major league ball player. He's he's a 4A player at best, okay? And there's a reason why Kansas City gave up on him, San Diego gave up on him way back in the day. This guy has not been able to stick with any team because 
he's got raw athletic ability. He just doesn't have, like you said, Charlie, he doesn't have the brain to put it all together. There's just too many, you know, fog brain moments from him. And he's just, he just doesn't know what he's doing out there. And honestly, it's, it's just kind of tiring to keep, you know, using him as a punching bag, but it's, it's all we got left because Mr. Genius upstairs, you know, in the GM's office decided that a career outfielder should be your first baseman this year. And that, that was the solution. And this is, this is what you get. This is what you get when you decide to, you know, fool around with the roster, not take it seriously, not go out and get yourself a real first baseman. And you just plug in some guy and think that he's going to get the job done because you've seen it work in Tampa or you've seen it work in other organizations. It doesn't always work. There's a reason why other general managers don't do that. There's a reason why other GMs in the league actually go out and make a trade or sign a free agent. Look at what Seattle did. Seattle made such a small trade at the end of June, getting Carlos Santana to play first base. And then they ripped off 14 in a row going into the all-star break. Now, was that all because of Carlos Santana? No, but their primary first baseman, Ty France, was on the IL. They knew they needed somebody. They didn't just bring up some scrub from AAA and go, okay, you're playing first base now, whether you like it or not. No, they actually, they were proactive and they went out and they made a deal and it's helped them. That's a trade that High and Bloom easily could have made, but nope, nope, let's let's keep going with the Franchi Cordero experiments because Hyam doesn't want to admit that he was wrong about the Andrew Benatendi trade, which he absolutely was. So it's it's just it's a joke at this point. It's again, I'm just sitting here laughing. Every time I see Cordero make a gaffe at first base, I'm just laughing now because what else can you do? I you know, I, I can't get mad at the guy anymore because it's really not his fault. It's the GM's fault for putting him in that position. But either way, another another week of Franchi being a punching bag. It's just it's getting real, real tough to watch. So I, 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 it's, it's, it's a joke, you know, in a way that this is what you're left with. It's Franchi Cordero and Bobby Dahlbeck as your first baseman. I'm gonna let that sink in there for a minute. Um, it's just, it's, it's nothing but a black hole right now over at that, over at the, over first base. It's pretty much who's, who's gonna do better, you know, today, Bobby or Franchi. And they both equally are absolute garbage. And it's at the point where you might as well not even play anybody at that position right now, because that's really all the production you're getting. Um, I love your point you made, Jason, with Seattle with their move with Carlos Santana, because that one really, really ticked me off. That's a move that can help jumpstart a team and get them propelled to get on, you know, some sort of a run like Seattle just had. I mean, look at Xander or, or Devers right there, looking at this team right here and thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to sign here long term. But my GM isn't going to do jack shit, basically, to get anything for this team to improve. So I really hope that Devers and, and Bogarts are here long term. But you know what? As this keeps going on and on, I'm losing hope. I'm losing hope. If you continue to throw out your franchise and your dollbacks, uh, you know, on a daily basis, but you know, this is, this is what your depth has right now. And it's not very good. Yeah. So enough about Franchi. We've, we've beat him up enough. Let's beat up someone else. Uh, <laughs> let's beat up number four on our weekend shit list. And that would be one Jaron Duran who probably had the most embarrassing outfield play I've ever seen uh, or at least so far this season losing a fly ball ended up you know inside the park grand slam duran at the plate isn't getting it done either three for 13 this series another six strikeouts so the offense has gone away and the defense which we all knew was a problem right everyone talking about jaron duran when he was coming up said look this kid can hit and he can fly he's absolutely lightning quick but he cannot play the outfield He's not good at tracking fly balls. He has an awful throwing arm. He doesn't have the best range, even for a guy as athletic as him. And boy, the defense is really starting to rear its ugly head. And it'd be one thing if this was a guy who, you know, had that sort of Pedroia-like dog in him, you know, that just, he, he you can tell he's trying and you can tell that he's really putting himself out there. But this is the same guy who won't play in Toronto, 
because he won't he won't get the shot. He's one of those guys, so you have to leave him home when you go play one of your division rivals. And you know, and then the attitude after the fly ball incident for him to sit there and say, "Until you guys try to catch a ball in the twilight, let me know, dude. You have no business taking that attitude with anybody." after the way you've been playing and the way this team collectively has been playing. There's nothing I can't stand more than when a player doesn't hold himself accountable for his own screw-ups and his own shortcomings. And for a guy like Duran, who is a fringe major leaguer and is trying to you know, prove that he deserves to be on the everyday roster, for him to act that way and to be so cavalier about such an awful play and just, I don't know, the awful state of the team in general, it just it pissed me off so much to hear that after the game. Your team just got smoked. Your team just gave up a historic amount of runs in one game, and you decide that's the time you're going to get snippy with the media? Dude, uh-uh. Go back to Worcester for all I care. Go back to Worcester and dominate Worcester like you always do when you go down there because basically he's in the same category as Frankie Cordero. You're a 4A player. You're not an everyday big leaguer, especially if that's going to be your attitude. So Duran on the shit list and rightfully so. I agree with everything I have in my heart. I remember seeing when I played baseball just one year before I switched over to track, freshman year, a kid let up on a play, just didn't catch, just put no effort. Coach immediately yelled at him pulled him right out of the game was like you are done you ever show that kind of effort again do not ever suit up that was disgusting and that reminded me of that moment and it reminded me of when bj upton whooped it in center field and madden took him right out on the next play you don't hustle out i mean you've seen ronald acuna get removed from games because he didn't hustle You've seen how many other players think they're pimping a home run and they end up getting a single instead. Manny Machado's done that before. Jaron Duran showed the most disgusting lack of accountability I've seen in a rookie. You've been in the league for six minutes, dude. You're not the best player on the team. You're, you're not even on the team on some teams in Major League Baseball. You're here because of injuries. That's it. And that is how you're going to act Jason already said it. That cavalier attitude has no business in Boston. You can't act that way when you just got smoked. Your entire team just got spanked. Your team just made history. You get to say that you were playing in the game that the Boston Red Sox have allowed the most runs ever in a Major League Baseball game. Ever and at home. There is no excuse for that play to say you lost it in the lights until you've had that come talk to me or Verdugo look like he was closer to the ball. At least make it look like you give a damn because you look like you could not have cared any less that you were out there in center field. Three for 13, a pair of doubles, a triple, great. You're still striking out in half your at-bats. I'm sorry. I just, that one play upset me. Honestly, in that moment, you saw... That play get popped up. It was, uh, I think it was Ramel, if I'm, I'm saying his name right, Tapia, who ripped it into center field. He thought it was a flyout. He immediately dropped his head and started slowly chugging to first base. Slowly chugging. Tapia's not the fastest dude in Major League Baseball. He got an inside the park grand slam because you woofed it and just stared at it because you were upset that you lost the ball. You are angry that you couldn't find the ball. It's inexcusable. Oh, I was on my mute. To ask you guys both um, the question, so to play on this, I personally think this is the worst play in Major League Baseball I've ever seen, truthfully. I, I want to throw it out there and just say I think that was the biggest disgrace, the biggest just – just being a fan at Fenway Park, seeing that, how aren't those fans on his ass after that? And most importantly, how is Alex Cora putting him in the lineup the next day and then he puts him in again today oh he's gonna lead off he's just gonna be there don't worry about it you know he makes mistakes how does he not come out of that line that game as soon as that happens that just can't happen either 
So that that really irritated me probably the most. And then I I got I got I watched the video from the Nesson feed and everything, and I kind of shared it on Twitter and was seeing all all people's different reactions and stuff from it. And people were just like, "This is disgraceful! How the heck does this even happen on a major league baseball team?" I was stunned that 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 that, that, that even happened. Stunned, you know. And I thought Duran, you know, going up from you know a month ago when he first came up, you know, I thought he started to show a little bit of improvement with the bat. We were starting to see, um, we were starting to see a little bit more than we saw in the past. And I was holding out hope that he was going to be a little bit better. And I started saying to myself, is he going to be like a Grady Sizemore? Is he going to be like a Jacoby Ellsbury of sorts and, you know, catch lightning in a bottle in a way? Well, that bottle's done. (laughs) Yeah, you know, when I think of like the worst plays in baseball, I wonder if he was even paying attention. Was he just maybe just thinking about something else and then heard the crack of the bat, looked up, and then just completely lost it? Is it your first time playing center field at Fenway Park? How is it that no other center fielder had a problem? How is it that no left or right fielder had a problem with that ball? Like, we've seen it happen. We, we saw, I believe it was Verdugo who lost it. When I think of the worst moment that I've witnessed um, on TV... I'm thinking of Armando Galarraga's no-hitter. I don't think it was a perfect game. I think it was a no-hitter when Jim Joyce called him safe at first when he was out by, like, two feet. That one was the worst one by an umpire. But this one's going to go down as probably one of the worst that I've witnessed, especially for a rookie. It's just, you can't do that. Um, It's, I think players are distracted. I think... The fact that Jaron Duran got to play in the second and third game sent the wrong message. Um, I I don't I don't know what the conversation looked like after. We have no idea what Alex Cora said to Jaron Duran, but if I'm Jaron Duran, I'm probably going to stay off social media for a little bit uh, and probably going to be very mindful about you know um, I, I'm taking the extra steps I need to to help my team. I want to be a good teammate. You need to start saying the right things instead of blaming other things for the fact that you botched something pretty badly i get it it sucks but you know what no one else is playing center field no one else had any problems so it's 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 going to be tired pretty soon so the next one that we wanted to talk about for um for one of our people that definitely needs to be talked about on this show it's definitely heim bloom I have to tell you guys, I was not a big fan, and I know that when you, when someone first starts, you got to give him a chance, and you got to think about what he's going to do over the long haul. We just got you know rid of Dave Dombrowski. What was that? Two thousand nineteen when he was fired or something like that. And so many fans are used to Trader Dave. You know, he'll trade from the farm. He'll get the big stars. Heck, we got to give him credit for twenty eighteen. I mean, he got the moves and got it done. Bloom comes in, and I already was very nervous about this move because he's coming from Red Sox East, way down in Tampa. The bargain, what do I, uh, the bargains by the bagful organization, where they try their best to cut payroll and find diamonds in the dust, all different sorts of ways. I knew John Henry was going to like to hit this guy in because. He doesn't want to spend any money. We know how John Henry's going to be right now. He feels like all this money that he's paid out his stars over the years, it's time to get some bargains that he doesn't have to pay all his millions to. Well, now you're getting it twofold right now. You know, I almost in a way look back at last season for 2021. I think we got real lucky with some of the clutch performances and everything that we saw for this team to get to the ALC championship. I think right now what you're seeing is them trying to bank on last year again, and it's coming to bite them in the ass big time. You're seeing a lot of depth moves that aren't getting made. You're seeing, uh, you know, some of the guys in the bullpen, you know, specifically going into the season without a closer. You know, that just can't happen. That are, I already had the red flag up at that point right there. You know, I already said, you got to be kidding me. 
at least make Whitlock or at least make somebody your closer. So you got some stability back there, but nothing. We got Ryan Brazier's. We got uh, more trash, Sawamora, whatever you want, you know, just bargains, more bargains by the bag full. Um, looking at the moves that he's made so far, we all know about Mookie, you know, Mookie, get, you, you got Verdugo, you got Downs and Connor Wong. You feel pretty good about Verdugo. I guess it could be better. But the other two, I mean, you got Downs playing right now. You happy with that, folks? You real happy with that play? Um, Trevor Story, that was the move of the offseason that I don't think gets a lot of talk, and I think it should get a lot of talk. Because here's a guy that was a career, you know, career major leaguer with the Colorado Rockies. We all know about the altitude and all that stuff out there at Coors Field and everything. You're seeing story. Yeah, he's got RBIs. Yeah, he's got the home runs. But before he got hurt and everything, what's hitting? 220? You feel good about that? Gold glove defense, not taking that away from him in the least bit. But was that your biggest need that you needed to really do this past offseason? Was that the real move you needed? I think I would have felt even all right with Arroyo at, at second base. And maybe it made a big splash for say it was a pitcher that you need. Or maybe it's Freddie Freeman or something like that. Because what you're left with right now is a team that is really struggling and really doesn't know where the direction's going to head. I'm sure we'll find out more clarity as you know this week goes on here. But you're sitting three games back in this wild card right now. Do you sell? Do you build here a little bit? Because I feel if you were believing in this team and you thought it, you had your eyes on the postseason, you'd probably fix some of this crapshoot that you got with first base and your bullpen and your starters. But this is what you got with right now. So Bloom deserves all the criticism in the world. Long story short to get around to that. I think he is just not a good GM. I'd fire him right now if I could. So when it comes to High and Bloom and the moves that he has made, I've been very critical of some of them. And then there are some that I think he does deserve a lot of credit for. He hasn't done, it's not like every move he's made has been a complete disaster. The Nick Pavetta trade was an absolute home run. I mean, we can all agree on that. That was a great trade. Um, you know, and some even some of the signings this year, Michael Walker, you know, before he got hurt, was a pretty good find. You know, and, and we all kind of scratched our heads at that one going, this guy had an ERA like over six last year, and you just gave him a raise and brought him here. But walk has been good. Rich Hill has been valuable for you. Again, it sucks that those guys are hurt, but those are decent moves. Then you look at some of the other moves. Trading Hunter Renfro to Milwaukee for Jackie Bradley Jr., essentially so that he could buy a prospect. He wanted Alex Pinellas. It wasn't about getting Jackie here and, oh, we think Jackie's going to turn around. No. Anyone with two eyes and a brain watches Jackie Bradley and goes, this guy sucks. And he can't play the sport. He's terrible. He is literally, historically, one of the worst, if not the worst hitter in the history of Major League Baseball. And Hyam Bloom traded for him and his awful contract so that he could buy a prospect. This is who you brought in here. Now, I haven't followed Alex Benellis and you know, in what he's been doing in Worcester or wherever he is. I guess he's been doing okay. He projects as a third baseman, first baseman kind of thing. But it's just some of these moves are just you scratch your head, like like you said, Nick, like going into the season without a closer. And, you know, the, the bullpen just kind of being a bunch of guys, you know, and, and sure, he went out, he got Matt Strom, he got Jake Tiefman. Okay. I mean, those guys have been fine, I guess. But, yeah, nothing to really celebrate over. He signed Matt Barnes to that stupid extension when everyone could have told you this guy's arm is cooked and he's done. Matt Barnes is, like, in witness protection now. I don't even know where he is. They just stashed him on the 60-day IL, and they're like, just – disappears that nobody remembers that you're still on this team under an awful contract. It's just baffling to me, especially since what happened to the, the venom from Red Sox fans? Like, why does this guy get such a free pass? Because there is a large segment of Red Sox fans who think we're idiots for criticizing high and blue and that we don't know what we're talking about because we're mad at the GM 
for the roster he put together. I've never seen such unconditional support for a general manager of, of a team in this town who hasn't won a damn thing. At least Dombrowski, we criticized him on his way out the door, but at least he brought you a World Series. I mean, you, you got to give him some credit for that. Yeah, he he completely destroyed your farm system doing it, but he got you a World Series team. Is Haim Bloom going to bring you a World Series team, particularly when he shows no interest in paying Xander Bogarts or Rafael Devers, your two best offensive players who are now poised to walk out the door in the next season or two? So, and and the whole underlying thing with that is people go, well, just wait till 2025. Just wait. Just wait till Marcelo Mayer's up and Tristan Casas and Nick York and Alex Benellis and blah, blah, blah. So is that what we're supposed to do with, with High and Bloom in charge? We're supposed to just not watch baseball for the next three years and then, oh, just call me when Marcelo Mayer comes up? Because as we all know, every prospect totally hits, right? There are never busts when it comes to prospects. Because that's, that's the other thing. Okay, we hear all about this hype about Tristan Casas. What if he's Lars Anderson and he comes up to the majors and he can't hit? What if Marcelo Mayer is just another Jeter Downs who rakes when he's in the minor leagues and then can't hit when he comes up here? It's just the blind faith in High and Bloom is so baffling to me. And I think it's just because Red Sox fans have just gotten kind of soft. They've gotten soft. I don't know what's happened in this town, but just people – People are kind of taking the attitude of the owner. The owner's checked out, so I think the fans are checked out too. You got your primary owner's checked out on his yacht buying the Pittsburgh Penguins and cares more about Liverpool. And then your other owner calls your your city racist and nobody gets mad about it. So <laughs> it's just, I guess maybe that's why fans are just checking out the same way the owner is. But I don't know. I, I think it's finally, what it's going to take is it's going to take Bogart's endeavors leaving and this roster being destitute with either bad contracts or just minor leaguers that don't work out. Maybe then people will finally get mad, but at least for now, again, we're the idiots because we're criticizing a GM of a team that just lost a game 28 to five, but Hey, there we go. So you bring up some really good points. Um, Nick and Jason. I mean, I, I can't disagree with anything that either one of you have said. Uh, Heim Bloom was there at the forefront when the Red Sox had to make a very unpopular decision of moving on from Mookie Betts. That's a tough decision for any GM, you know, president of baseball operations, period. In your three years, you you haven't even come close to really being a contender. 2021, we just barely got in. And that's because I believe the last series of the season was against the Nationals and we swept. And that's the only reason why we got in there because I wanted no part of the Blue Jays that year. I thought they were disgusting. It just so happens this year, Yankees are just running a train on everybody. 2020, we finished in fifth place. 2021, we did finish in second with 92 wins. This year, we're fourth out of fifth with a 48-48 and 48 record. Earlier this season, one of my favorite shows to do is the Bastards predictions for how many wins the Red Sox are going to get. And I'm usually like the Nancy of the group, basically saying we're not going to win as many. And I got hosed for it. People gave me crap. Said we're going to win 84 games. That might be a pipe dream now. Um, Jason, I think you had 94. Andrew was in the 90s. Job was 88. Terry was one above me at 85. I think Jason was exactly 90. Um, or not Jason. Andrew was at 90. Um, the way that we're going right now, it's 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 wheels are falling off, and we're going downhill, and there's no brakes. It it's going to be bad, and it's going to be bad for a real long while. But what's bothered me the most is Terry, uh, a couple of, I think it was a, a year, last year, had coined the phrase, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. I'm sick of waiting for these under-the-radar sexy ads to the team. 2021, in, in November, December, we signed Michael Waka, we signed James Paxton, we signed Rich Hill. Rich Hill is 42, 43 years old. He was with the Red Sox once or twice before. He's been pitching in baseball for a very long time. He's 42 years old, or 43. James Paxton was signed the same day. James Paxton hasn't pitched yet. He's thrown zero pitches for the Red Sox. And then we signed Michael Waka four days before that, someone who's had major injury problems for a while. 
We start 2022, we signed Matt Strom and Jake Diekman a day apart. James Paxson is placed on the IL, 60-day IL for left elbow surgery. He's going to be coming out what was supposed to be July uh, or or mid-June. And now we're at the end of July. We're almost at August. He's still not here yet. We signed Travis Shaw to a minor league deal. We already knew what we were getting with Travis Shaw. His last big game was the day that he had that big grand slam. That was it. After that, he's been done. We signed Hansel Robles three on March 21st. Minor league deal. He's gone. Chris Sale was placed on the 60-day IL with a stress fracture, right rib cage injury. Danny Santana is suspended 80 games for violating the MLB drug program. The only two good moves that we had this year, really, really good. You signed Chris Sale, made it look like you cared to a six-year deal. And then you extended Garrett Whitlock to a four-year deal with a couple of option years. Outside of that, there is no move that looks sexy, as Terry would say. This looked like a GM that was just doing this plug and play. Let's just see what we can do. Our payroll at the beginning of this year was $206 million. 16 of that million is going to David Price. Last bit of that for for Price. We're not going to be paying him anymore after that. Thank God. We have another, I think, 8.175 and then 8.375 next year to Matt Barnes. That's another $8 million off the books. I don't know if we're ever going to see him again. You did not sign a legitimate closer. Nick, you mentioned this earlier. We did not sign a legitimate first, plate, uh, a first baseman. We went with Franchi, Bobby, I don't know what's going on, Dahlbeck. I don't think he knows what's going on. We have so many glaring holes. We, we are now the Worcester Woo Sox at Fenway because our team is injured slash signed broken players. I don't blame Alex Cora for having the pieces that he has to play. You cannot stop the Titanic from sinking. If more water is coming into it, then you're able to scoop it out. That's impossible. That's not going to work. You have a bunch of players that we never thought we were going to be seeing all at the same time. Brian Bayo pitching in 2022. I was the first one to say, I don't want him here. I do not want him in a Red Sox uniform. I sincerely hope we don't see him get completely shattered when he goes back to AAA. He has gotten shelled three straight times. And today, first inning, five runs. Disgusting. I, we know that Heim Bloom's not going to get fired. But it's going to be two or three years before we see a real return. The Boston Red Sox right now, in Chaim Bloom's tenure, has the oldest team, as far as pitchers are concerned, since 2013 for the average age. And that's largely in part because of Rich Hill. I don't think it'd be that bad because of Hill. Our batters have not been this old since 2014. So for all the prospects that you're getting and all the players that you're really excited to see play in, as Jason mentioned, three years, we're not getting it done right now. So clearly we need to rework the way that we're thinking as president of baseball operations. The product that you currently have on the field is not going to get it done. How do I know? You guys just got smoked by 23 runs on Friday night at home. So we need to figure it out. That that's that's the 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 bottom line. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of bad pitching, and speaking of all the runs the, the Red Sox gave up this weekend, which is a total of forty, by the way, they gave up forty runs over three games. Nine of those were charged to Nathan Avaldi, who was number two on our shit list. Um, I I remember distinctly. Last offseason, our main account sent out a tweet basically asking, would you sign Nathan Abaldi to a three-year extension? And we all put our answers in. And I believe everyone on the podcast unanimously said no. Um, I believe my answer was F no, but we, we all said no. And we got roasted. We got hammered 
on Twitter that day. It was a bloodbath. We were we were called all sorts of oh you guys are idiots and you know Nathan Navaldi just finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. How could you not want to sign him to an extension? Blah 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 blah. Are we still idiots now, guys? Are we still stupid now? You still want Nathan Navaldi for another three years? Because I'm looking at a guy who has never been healthy except for last year. Last year was his outlier year where he was healthy and he was really good. But other than that, has never been healthy, always has something going on with his elbow or his back or whatever. The velocity is starting to drop. He's not getting swings and misses as much as he used to. And he's getting up there in age. He's going to be approaching his mid-30s now. Are we really going to bring Nathan Avaldi back? No. You're, you're seeing it now. This is Nathan Avaldi regressing to the mean, okay? He's never – last year was a complete outlier. It was an anomaly on his record. It was great to watch, and it was great that he got, you know, again, fourth in the Cy Young voting, but that's not who he is. And it just kind of sucks for him that he has to anchor this pitching staff, which is just a mash unit at the moment. But he's starting to get lit up, and it's starting to become a real concern because this was a guy when – Sale, you know, we knew Sale was going to miss the first half. Now he's probably going to miss the rest of the season. He's pretty much done. This is the guy who's now your ace. Nathan Navaldi has to be a race. And if he's going out there pitching like that, forget about it. He's getting his lips ripped off every start now. Same with Pavetta. He's getting his lips ripped off. It's just they're getting smoked. So I, I think that at this point you've seen, you know, the best of Nathan Navaldi, and that was last season. I'm hoping that's you know, what's going on now with this team and the way the rest of the season's likely going to go, I'm hoping that this means light has dawned on Marblehead and, and our brilliant GM looks at it and goes, yeah, you know what? Maybe maybe a contract extension isn't in the books for this guy. Maybe it's time to let him walk out the door. So, I mean, the big thing with Nathan Avaldi, and I think why a lot of fans have such a big feeling towards him is obviously because of 2018, you know, coming out in game four for the 2018 uh, World Series and everything. So I think fans have some sort of like sentimental feel towards Nate Avaldi. Um, I don't want to take away and discredit, you know, last season for how he did. I mean, he pitched great. You know, there's no taking that back. I think he was an all-star as a matter of fact. If uh, Was he a part? I thought That's what I thought. But I think I, I said to you guys off air in the chat or something before the show started, that was an absolute sackless performance, sackless on Friday night. You know, coming out second half, that's what you put up? That's what you put up at your home park, second half action, and you come out and had absolutely no clue whatsoever what you're where you're locating the ball, what you're doing, any of that jazz. So I was very frustrated from the get-go from what I saw from that. I just see a guy that's checked out. I think he's hurt. I think he's trying to gut it out as best he can. And let's be honest here, guys. He's never been an ace and he's never gonna be an ace. So the more real we gotta be here with this. It might be time just to say thank you, Nate, for 2018. Time to move on. So, Nate Evaldi, you know, Jason and I, we, we, we like to do the numbers game. Uh, it's a second start in July. Hasn't done well. Seven innings of work. 12 runs allowed. It's it's not been pretty. Um, you, you look back at the two starts he had in June before he went on the IL. No runs allowed. Perfect 2-0, two, two games played, fantastic. Month of May, not as pretty. 16 earned in 28 and two-thirds, fantastic in April. It's kind of like the Rick Porcello effect, where you have one good month, one bad month. One good month, one bad month. When you allow 12 runs and two starts, and you count that back to allowing 16 earned runs in the last eight starts, Something needs to change. I don't want to personally bag on Nate Evaldi. I, I think you, Major League Baseball has changed their design as far as owners wanting to give out major contracts. You cannot pay on past performance. It does not bode well. It does not work. I don't know if Nate Evaldi will pitch next season. 
for the Red Sox. I think he'll receive the qualifying offer. Uh, he will definitely get paid more money. But the problem is that the Red Sox need a starting rotation. And you have Nick Pavetta here. He's going to be back. Chris Sale will be back. We don't know to what degree. Chris Sale as an ace is probably not happening. We don't have a, uh, an ace in Boston right now. Uh, and I love Chris Sale. I've said it multiple times. I love Chris Sale. But unfortunately, he's not the one that we we used to have anymore. I don't know what kind of Chris Sale we're going to be getting back. Uh, that injury was brutal, completely unexpected, completely just random, one in a million chance happening. And unfortunately, it it bit him. Nate Evaldi needs to right the ship very quickly because uh, the, the more blowups he gets like this, it's only going to lessen his value, which could in theory help Boston if we're trying to resign him to like a 230 or 345-year deal. But right now, this isn't, you know, 32-year-old guy who's already had major damage on the arm. We may be seeing the end for Evaldi, which is really sad because one of my favorite guys um, always pitches real hard. Just doesn't look like he's 100% yet because he wasn't he wasn't getting rocked this bad. Nine earned runs. We haven't seen it happen all year. He's allowed nine runs this year, but only six were earned. And he got shelled in that game back in May against uh, Houston. So, again, hopefully this is just another bad blip where all the wheels fell off. This was the worst game I've ever seen the, Bo I've ever seen the Boston Red Sox play. And I don't think in the rest of my time, for however long I'm on this earth, I'll ever see another game like that again. And then I think we wanted to finish off with our last uh, player on the chop block, basically, here. And I'm actually going to do a wild card selection on this one. Instead of going with Ott, if that's cool with you guys, um, I'm going to go with just Ryan Brazier. I, I have had enough. I have had an absolute enough of that crooked neck coming out of that neck. I mean, coming out of that bullpen, excuse me. That would be kind of interesting coming out of that neck, um, coming out of that bullpen and just not doing anything. I mean, this guy has been around since 2018. What are we holding out hope here for him to be like their closer or something? I just, every time he comes out, I just look at my, I just shake my head and I just say, is this really what we're doing? Is this really what's going out here? I mean, there's so many names right now in this bullpen. You know, you could put Salamora up, this Ott kid, Austin Davis. But I got to go to Ryan Brazier since he's been there the longest out of any of that group that's there. I mean, you, you can tell the fastball's coming right down the middle of the plate. He's telling you, he's screaming at you. Here it is. Come right down Broadway. Here it comes. Home run. Um, I think the last outing he just had, would he give up five runs again? I mean, he got demoted to, to Worcester for what was that a day? And then he came back. I know it was because of injuries and stuff that the bullpen and everything needed an arm, but if that's the arm you're needing, yikes. Yeah. Every time I feel like I've seen the last of Ryan Brazier, he just somehow he he's like Jason Voorhees, like walking out of the swamp. It's like, Oh no, he's still here. Damn it. He's been DFA'd, he's been sent down to Worcester, and yet, whether it's because of injuries or just they just don't have anyone else, they keep bringing this guy back. And it's just, it's really insulting to me that this is the guy that Ian Bloom looked at it and said, yep, we're good with Ryan Brazier. We'll have him in the bullpen. We don't need to upgrade. We don't need to upgrade. We've got Ryan Brazier. We've got 34-year-old Ryan Brazier who we plucked out of Japan and, you know, had like, what, a good half season? And now, you know, then they sign him to another contract, and he's just been garbage since then. He's not a good pitcher. Again, another 4A ball player that you bring out of your bullpen, and he just gets torched. That He's got nothing special. The fastball is just average. It's it, There's nothing to it. He's just – he's so hittable. And, again, it's just that's the face of your bullpen, that that's what you're – your GM management decide to do with the bullpen. It's just, yep, let's just bring back Ryan Brazier again. Let's run it back with Brazier instead of trying to go up and go out there and upgrade. It's just, it's ridiculous. And I'm so sick of seeing this guy again. I hope it's the last time, but knowing, knowing him, he'll somehow resurface next season too. 
Yeah, Jason, just just to kind of rattle off after that, I agree. Uh, three of his last four appearances haven't been good, and and Brazier's had an ERA of ten point eight in the month of uh, in the month of July. Uh, that's not going to cut it. Um, you know, he's had two two bad months again, the Rick Porcello effect in the bullpen. But again, Jason just said we're just going to run it back with Brazier again. There was no effort outside of of Diekman and Strom to bring in these other arms and got a whole boatload of lefties now, but unfortunately the lefties kind of all got blown up on Friday night. You know, all of, all of our team is getting blown up. Uh, Brazier, the crooked neck guy, it's always kind of funny. does kind of lean to the left a little bit. Like I feel like I'm going to fall over if I kind of try to straighten out, trying to pay attention to what he's doing, but it's just, it's not working. And I think it was a, a fun little story for Brazier because this is someone that was out of the game for five years before he came to Boston after a stint in LA um, but I'm, I'm good moving on from Brazier, uh, at the end of this year, because knowing Bloom, it's probably not going to be during the season. If he was doing well, it would have probably been a little bit better for us. Uh, is there anything else that you gentlemen want to add? Nope. That's it nope. for me. I had one thing I wanted to, cause I jokingly said, about a month ago on my Twitter and I got some heat from it. Like you're out of your mind for this, even thinking this way. You know, if the Red Sox are really that desperate, and I know he's out of the game right now and he's retired, and I don't even know if he's officially retired and he's, you know, banged up a little bit. But I jokingly said, why have the Red Sox not put a phone call in for Mitch Moreland? Like, at that point, I was just done with Dahlbeck and everything like that. But you, at least you knew what you were going to get from Mitch Moreland. At least I knew he wasn't going to strike out every time he got up to the plate. And I knew he was going to at least feel the freaking ball over at first base and freaking catch it. And I got so much heat from that from some people out there. And I just said, open your goddamn eyes. Like, that's a much better option than friggin' Cordero and Dahlbeck getting out there on a daily basis. And I, it just made me like, are you kidding me, fan base? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I would have happily taken Mitch Moreland back over. Let's let's bank on Bobby Dahlbeck having the kind of year he had in the second half last season when, let's face it, all those home runs he hit in the second half, he was facing bums. He was facing pitchers on, on teams that knew they were out of the playoffs, so they called up some scrub from double A, and Dahlbeck took him deep. It's you know they, they decided to buy into that instead of just going out and getting, like you said, a competent veteran who at the very least can feel the position because he's a natural first baseman. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think Mitch Moreland's probably done. I, he's probably just out of the game at this point, but I would have, if they had said, Hey, we put in a call to Mitch in, in spring training and we brought him in on like a minor league deal. I would have been pretty happy with that because yep, he was pretty good for you, but no, instead we get the French Cordero show. Yeah. And who knows? I think it's probably because uh, we just didn't want to spend the money. I think that's unfortunately what it comes down to. Uh, but what, what we're going to do right now, we're going to segue into this upcoming series starting tomorrow. Luckily, the Red Sox don't have to go anywhere. They get to stay at home, get a good night's sleep after an earlier game today. We are facing the Cleveland Guardians for a four-game set. Uh, currently on ESPN, the pitcher matchup that we have so far is Nick Pavetta, who will be making his second-half debut against Zach Plesak. Uh Jason, how do you have this one going? So, spoiler alert, I'm not picking the Red Sox for any game in this series. They don't deserve uh, my faith in them at this point. So I'll take Cleveland in this one. Nick Pavetta's been getting rocked. He was, he was getting rocked before the All-Star break. Whatever adjustments he made after April, apparently just all went out the window. And it's back to April Nick Pavetta, who's just getting torched every time he goes out there. Zach Plezak hasn't had a great year. He's been very disappointing. But the Guardians are healthy. And they're actually fighting for a wild card spot. They actually have, you know, a direction to go in as a team, unlike you. So Red Sox are too banged up. Cleveland's too healthy. I just think they're going to take this one. Yeah, I'm going to have to echo what Jason's saying here, too. You know, Nick Pavetta has got absolutely shelled in the past month or so when he's been rung out there. Any adjustment made? Hasn't been able to get it back to how it was going. I don't know how you can have faith right now in this team with them running out basically the Worcester Red Sox lineup. I mean, you got Xander that's in there. 
You're going to have uh, Alex Verdugo, Christian Vasquez. But besides that, I mean, you got no story. You got no Devers. You already talked about your first base situation. You have no idea what you're going to get really from Duran or Bradley or Ref Snyder, whoever the heck they want to throw on the outfield at, at, at there either. So I could see them losing three or four in this series. I, I'll be nice. I'll be real nice. And I'll at least give them one game. But it ain't going to be tomorrow night. I'll tell you that. That's going to be a sweep for us there. Uh, not too much to add. Um, Cle- uh, Cleveland's healthy. Guardians are, are good. They have one of the best, if not the best, third baseman in, in baseball with Jose Ramirez who can hit, he can steal, he can field. I wish we had a third baseman that can do all three and stay healthy. I still love Devers, but damn, that's going to suck. Uh, it's going to be an easy Cleveland's going to win game one. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on that one. Game two. We got Winkowski pitching. So we got Josh Winkowski for us. Cleveland has not listed their second started, uh, the second starter. We know Shane Bieber pitched today. Uh, Aaron Savali is supposed to pitch game two, but he is on the IL. So there's a possibility that they could be bringing somebody up. I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, could be a potential bullpen game. Um Jason, I know you already mentioned who you said was going to win. Are you still taking Cleveland game two? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll still take Cleveland game two. I think you're right. I think it's probably going to end up being a bullpen game, um, something like that. They'll piece it together somehow. Um, I, I think Winkowski stinks. I, I'm not I'm not a Josh Winkowski guy. Even the few games where he pitched kind of well, it's, he, he doesn't have electric stuff. He just seems like an average guy to me. Um, you know, and all it takes is one bad inning. You know, he, he gets a couple of guys on base and it's, it turns into an avalanche and turns into a four or five run inning. So I'm not a big Winkowski guy. I think whatever Cleveland puts out there, they'll be better. So, yeah, still taking the Guardians for game two. I'll, I'll be nice. I think this is the game that they could sneak by, but I don't particularly care for Winkowski either, especially after when he was critical on, you know, this comment after the game about, oh, I thought Wrigley Field was kind of average and stuff like that. I think the guy's definitely a loose cannon. Um, I do think that, you know, he's been decent, but I think he's also got some luck on his side too from how his starts have gone from things too. Um, But I think this could be the game that you might see, you know, some sort of Hulk or Whitlock or something in there that gives them something to get a win and give them, you know, some hope. So I'll give them one win on Tuesday. I'm actually going to go with the Red Sox, too. I, I know that Cleveland does have a reliever in their bullpen, Eli Morgan, who last year was a starter. So it wouldn't surprise me if they maybe asked him to go a little bit longer than his standard, like, one to two innings. Early this year, he did pitch a couple innings a couple times. He did three, three and a third, three, three. So he's he can give you at least the first order of the uh, of the lineup. And we're pretty banged up. So I would be surprised if they let somebody like Eli Morgan get stretched out. That being said, I still like Josh Winkowski in this one. Um, He hasn't had uh, the craziest of seasons, but he's already done well against Cleveland and he got his third win on the season against Cleveland at the end of June. So I'm going to give this one to the Red Sox and hopefully this will start a nice trend at the end of game two. In theory, we'd still be 49 and 49. But at least we got a win, and we need one. That would have been our first in possibly five games. Um, so that that wraps up game two. Game three of this series, <laughs> we have Nate Evaldi against Cal Quantrill. Uh, Jason, I think we already heard you foreshadowing this one. Why don't you give us your take? Yeah, um, I'll still take Cleveland. I actually will say I think this could be a small bounce-back game for Evaldi because he's not as bad as what we saw this weekend. He's not a nine runs in one, you know, one inning or one outing kind of guy. We know he's better than that. So I think he'll bounce back, but I don't like the matchup. Cal Contrell's good. Cal Contrell was one of their big prizes from the uh, the Clevenger trade with San Diego. And he's been very good this year, seven and five record. Not a big strikeout guy, but, you know, against whatever lineup the Red Sox is going to trot out there, it's not going to matter anyway. He's... He's damn good, um, and I just don't have faith in what the Red Sox will put up there against him. So, I'll take Cleveland. 
Yeah, if you remember from that past series when the Sox faced the Guardians, uh, this this game was the one where Verdugo hit the three-run home run, if I'm not mistaken, off Cal Quantrill. Um, and again, the Red Sox were losing in that game that right there. I I think Evaldi bounces back in this game. I don't think it's going to be, you know, get him shelled like he did his last game, but I still am going to give the Guardians the edge in this one. Um, I think Quantrill probably wants to prove himself that he can get, you know, a solid seven inning, you know, one run, two run kind of contest and get the job done for them. So I'm going to go with Cle- uh, Cleveland uh, on, on game three. I'm also going to go with Cleveland here. Uh, we're still not sure what we're going to get out of Nate Evaldi. We're not sure if he's going to be back up to snuff and kind of bounce back to the old June form of himself. Cal Quantrill has been pretty consistent um, as far as quality starts, and that's one of the recurring themes with me when it comes to starting pitching. You can't get a quality start, you're not a starting pitcher. You can't give me six innings day in and day out, you're not it. And uh, in the month of May, five for five. In the month of, uh, excuse me, in the month of uh, June, five for five. July, three out of five, not bad. So far, two out of four in the month of July. I definitely think he's going to be able to go six, seven innings. And I wouldn't be surprised if he also hits a uh, season-high best, maybe eight strikeouts against the Red Sox. You've got two or three culprits that can easily get a golden sombrero. It wouldn't surprise me to see two or three strikeouts from two players minimum on this team. Wouldn't surprise me if we strike out 12 times either. So uh, I'm also going to go with Cleveland winning game three, although I will agree with Jason. I think Evaldi will do a little bit better, but not good enough to surpass the Guardians' offensive onslaught. The final game in this series is going to be Crawford at Tristan McKenzie. So we got Cutter Crawford coming back for one more against Tristan McKenzie, uh, the young gun. Jason, we already heard it, but just for good measure, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, a clean sweep for Cleveland. Um, Tristan McKenzie is another stud. Uh, that, that they've gotten their first round pick, um, you know, has been dynamite this year for them. And oddly enough, he's been in the majors three years, but he's actually never faced the Red Sox, uh, which is surprising. I, I was surprised to find that out. So, and again, just Red Sox against someone they've never seen. Guy like him, 6'5", wiry, has different kind of stuff. I don't love that, uh, you know, especially with the lineup, the shape it's in. I actually do like Cutter Crawford. He's one guy that, I enjoy watching him pitch. I think he competes his ass off, but I just think McKenzie's too good. So I think Cleveland takes that one as well. I love the point, Jason, with saying how Red Sox hitters do against facing pitchers for that first time. And I don't see it being promising on Thursday either from this. Um, I do like the competitiveness of Cutter Crawford. I will say that he's got intensity at least to me, he's showing like he cares and he wants to have a quality start when he goes out, you know, and delivers. But again, I just think that you have a, you have a team that's so banged up and so in in so many injuries with so many different players that it's going to be hard to overcome getting even a, you know, a little bit of a win on something like a three, two game. I don't see it happening. So again, I'm going to give the guardians the upper hand for, um, this Thursday game, I have Cleveland getting three wins in this series and Red Sox getting a lucky one on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I unfortunately have Cleveland winning this one as well. So we have a one and three, one and three, oh and four. As we've always said, we hope that we are wrong because no one wants to be uh, right when we go one and three. Uh, when you said wiry, Jason, the first thing that came to mind was Tristan McKenzie reminds me of like Tim Lincecum. He's tall. He's skinny. Chris Sale. I think they're about the same height, probably around the same weight. McKenzie's, uh, you said 6'5". Uh, Chris Sale, I think, is 6'6". And I don't remember how tall Lincecum was, 6'1", or something like that. But he was also very, very skinny. That frame doesn't work out too well in Major League Baseball. You need a little bit of meat on the bones. With that being said, Tristan McKenzie's still done pretty good with what he's had. He also has the lineup behind him. He's the better option between the two, although Cutter Crawford's going to be great in the near future. Cutter Crawford right now is still older than Tristan McKenzie by two years, which is crazy to think about and say because that's how well Cleveland has prepared their team. It's almost like they knew what to do with their prospects. Ain't that something? 
but that being said, um, we got an 0-4, 1-3, 1-3. Uh, Nick, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, thank you so much for making your inaugural appearance. Jason, always a pleasure. Uh, is there anything else that either one of you gentlemen want to add? Oh. Thank, just thank you guys for allowing me the opportunity to be here. You know, I've been a fan for a long time, and it's great to be able to jump in and fill in for the legend, <laughs> Mr. Terry, yeah. there. So um, thanks for having me, guys. Really had fun, and it was a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. To our uh, dedicated listeners and fans, stay tuned. Our next episode will be totally legit or calling the cops. So stay tuned for that one. We want to wish everyone a great rest of your night. Take care.